Hello and welcome to ETUI Podcast, Voices on the World of Work. I'm your host, Bianca Luna Fabris, and in this episode, we will focus on Transfer's latest issue on COVID-19 and the world of work. The issue has been coordinated by today's guest, David Natali. He's professor in EU and comparative politics at the Santana School of Advanced Studies in Pisa. Hi, David. Thank you so much uh, for being with us today. I have a question for you that could actually set the tone for the entire episode. In a few words, just in 30 seconds, can you tell us what the whole issue is about? The issue is about COVID-19, is about the pandemic and its impact on uh, the world of work and welfare in Europe, meaning basically what is the impact or the expected impact on uh, uh, labor and social rights. In that respect, I would say, as you have seen, the literature uh, in the last couple of years on the uh, COVID-19 and its impact in Europe has been quite massive. Uh, a widespread analysis in social sciences on uh, the peculiar aspects uh, of the pandemic and its uh, uh, first impact uh, in, uh, in our own societies and political institutions. But to be honest, I think there was a, a blind spot in that literature, and this was precisely on the world of work. So what does the pandemic uh, means or has meant for uh, uh, the labor market, for the workers, uh, for their own rights and their own position in the labor market? And in that respect, I think that the special issue does quite a good job, addresses a lot of uh, issues related to the kind of policy change, uh, the kind of stability or, uh, let's say, possibility to, to really uh, change and alter the status quo. and basically. You know, what has meant in terms of improving social rights, reducing social rights, being consistent with uh, the neoliberal paradigm that has been dominant in the last decades, or if there has been any opportunity for uh, at least some first change. Right. It's it's very clear from what you're saying that there has been change um, throughout the past two or three years. But what changes have been implemented in terms of social unemployment policies? Of course, we are in a, in a very you know, complex and delicate field in the sense that as social sciences well know, it is difficult to assess reforms and policy change when you don't have any time gap vis-a-vis uh, the decisions that are taken by, by policymakers across Europe. In that respect, uh, we are a little bit blind and it's not easy to, to really assess what's going on. But, you know, the aim of the special issue was precisely to provide some, some first insights in that respect. And I would say the first uh, interpretation that we provide uh, is, I would say, barely optimistic in the sense that we see signs of alteration of the old paradigm and we see evidence of uh, important, at least in prospects, um, changes. For instance, in labor market policy, for instance, in social protection policy, of course, starting with healthcare that has been uh, the first to be impacted by, by the pandemic crisis. Uh, but in general, we see uh, some room to maneuver, uh, a larger room to maneuver to try to reform what we took from the past. And basically, we all along the special issue, we try to assess changes, not just in terms of the substantive content of policy decisions that have been taken, but also in terms of the rhetoric and the discourses and the ideas that are around in the political and social debate. And there as well, we see evidence of change. I'm so sorry. I have a question for you that doesn't really pertain to the Ipsu per se, but I think it's important to cover so you say that you're tentatively or cautiously optimistic, but 
with what is happening now with the war in Ukraine, do you think that this optimism can be kept or do you think that the good policies that have been put in place are going to be retrenched? Uh, it's a challenge. It's a challenge and the risk is that we are going to lose a little bit the political momentum uh, for huge reforms or changes in labor and social uh, policy uh, fields. Basically, you know, if you look at what is going on in Europe and what has happened in the last decade, we basically went through one crisis after the other. And this, of course, it's a sort of consists of a sort of ongoing destabilization of the political debate. So basically, each year there is a brand new priority and emergency that catalyze uh, the attention of uh, political actors, the social forces forces uh, and uh, ordinary citizens. And this destabilization, ongoing destabilization, means that we live in a sort of a state of uh, permanent fluidity. Yes, well, a- absolutely. Um, now, David, if you don't mind, I would actually like um, to focus on your article more specifically. So you do analyze three policy domains, in particular healthcare policy, employment protection and and pensions and how they have been impacted by COVID-19. Would you want to perhaps spell this out for us and start perhaps from the first domain, healthcare? Yeah, healthcare, let's say this is a typical suspect policy area view that the the pandemic, uh, the COVID-19 crisis has been a very peculiar crisis in the sense that at least in the last century, we have not experienced an healthcare original crisis like the one uh, we have seen in the last couple of years. We were used to to see crises determined by energy policy, energy crises like the oil crisis in the 70s in the last century or originated by, you know, uh, the stock exchange market and things like that. In that respect, it is a peculiar crisis and healthcare has been the first uh, policy area to be uh, impacted by, by the crisis. So it was quite, you know, clear that we should have expected some major change in the field of uh, healthcare and the evidence we have collected, I have collected throughout my article, confirms such a change. Especially, I would say, in those parts of Europe, and you know, I'm from Italy, I'm from Southern Europe, Southern Europe experienced, especially uh, since 2008, uh, major cutbacks uh, in healthcare. And these had already some quite uh, evident consequences on uh, the state of the health situation of the population. Well, I would say that the, the pandemic represented a turning point and uh, really um, also the image of healthcare spending in the public opinion in the debate uh, has largely changed. So uh, not just policymakers, but also ordinary citizens discover that they need a good healthcare sector, they need ongoing investments in the field, uh, and that they also discover from a sort of comparative view that those countries that uh, earlier were accused to spend too much, like Germany, on, on healthcare, were in fact those that were able basically to deal with the major consequences of the pandemic just because they spent it a little bit more and they had a sort of buffer and that allowed them to deal with unexpected uh, critical events. By contrast, the Southern European countries, but I could also talk about many Central Eastern European countries that experienced, you know, huge cutbacks uh, on the public uh, budget in healthcare, Uh, well, they have major problems, so they needed to invest much more. And of course, you know, the first reaction by 
domestic policymakers and by the European Union has been supportive of this uh, increased spending, increased investment in health services. And that's quite the first good news, let's say, coming from uh, the post-crisis. As far as the other two sectors that we are uh, at the core of my analysis, uh, basically, you know, usually when there is a major economic recession, in this case originated by an health crisis, uh, you have the so-called after crisis. So, you know, the first ring of the chain is represented by, in this case, the impact on uh, health. But the second step, the second ring of the chain was the impact on the labor market. Uh, especially related to the lockdowns implemented in different European countries. There as well, and again, it was a usual suspect, uh, we expected in fact to see again uh, major spending in uh, uh, labor market protection, but there were good news and also some some new elements in the strategies shared by uh, domestic and European policymakers in this area. And the first good news, big news, is about uh, uh, the job retention schemes. Short-time work schemes uh, became basically the leading strategy shared by all policymakers in the 27 member states. And also beyond the European Union, if you look at the UK, you see the same. So even countries, liberal uh, countries with a liberal market economy, not used to uh, uh, refer to job uh, retention schemes, basically adopted that kind of strategy. And this is quite interesting because not just in my own article, but I would say especially in the one by the colleagues uh, uh, Bernard Ebbinghaus and Lucas Lenner uh, from the University of Oxford and uh, University of Mannheim, uh, basically they showed that there was a learning process process. The German case was really interpreted to be a good case, a sort of good practice in the context and in the aftermath of the Great Recession of 2008. And one of the key reasons why it was a good practice was precisely because of the large use of short-time work schemes. And this became really the rule across Europe. And this meant also a change in the discourse about what is a good labor market. And the idea supported by, I would say, uh, in a while also by the European Union was precisely to protect the workers and to protect jobs. Uh, And in that respect, uh, it was interesting also, of course, the launch of the SURE program by the European Union that to some extent also contributed to the spread of these instruments across the European Union, especially in some Central Eastern European countries. And of course, again, in Southern European countries, much hit by by the, the same crisis. Then the third policy area that was at the core of my analysis was uh, pension policy. And here, by contrast, it is not a, a, a usual suspect in the sense that pension is quite protected by these unexpected events, like a great recession, because first of all, old age is protected by pension policy, so they are quite far from the epicenter of the economic recession. At the same time, when you have such a rapid uh, deterioration of economic conditions, these, you know, need some time in order to produce effects uh, on the older part of the generation and of the population. And in that respect, uh, uh, I would say, in any case, I was able to find some signs of uh, policy change, even in the case of pension policy. And again, I would like to use 
use this word uh, uh, COVID-19 as a catalyzer for policy change in the sense that the, the change is not originated by the pandemic, but is to, to some extent supported by the pandemic that fastened to some extent the, the, um, the change in policy discourses and policy measures. Well, if you could give us like one or two uh, examples, one or two cases, I think that would be actually be quite helpful. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, the cases are, for instance, in the Netherlands or uh, even in Italy, where uh, there is an ongoing debate, there has been an ongoing debate on retirement age. And as you know, also the European Union is used to promote uh, extending the working age uh, uh, and basically increasing uh, the legal retirement age in order to find a better balance between active and inactive uh, part of the population, but also active and inactive part of your own working career and life. In that respect, there has been a change in the sense that uh, uh, there have been uh, measures increasing the opportunities to leave the labor market a little bit earlier than expected. So early retirement schemes have been supported in some countries, especially for specific uh, groups, social groups and occupational groups. So atypical workers, female part of the active part of the population uh, uh, with uh, a lot of problems in reconciliation of work and family life. Uh, in that respect, there have been measures that have on the one hand increased public spending on pensions and on the other hand, uh, open up more opportunities for an earlier exit from the labor market. And this has been quite new. And I mean, I'm coming here from a, from a lay perspective, but I think this is um, contradicts what I would have um, expected. I would have expected, for example, a retrenchment in terms of, of pension schemes. To some extent, to some extent, if you go a little bit more into the detail of the political debate, for instance, in Denmark or in other countries, in fact, there was even before uh, the emergence of the pandemic, a, a debate where uh, trade unions, uh, social democratic parties, the far left, uh, were more and more supportive of rethinking. Yeah, of early retirement. Yeah, of early retirement, precisely because the labor market is not what is expected to be, to some extent. And and uh, decades of flexibilization, precarization of uh, the condition of the workers has led to many, many problems in dealing with the increased retirement age. And I'm not sure here, um, does Italy fit in this picture as well with, with the famous policy Quattrocento that reduced the retirement age? Mm, not really, not really. But uh, in, in the case of Italy, it was quite interesting. Also, the uh, interesting interplay between uh, the EU agenda uh, related to the recovery plan, the so-called recovery plan, and the Draghi government agenda, in the sense that I, I think nobody can suspect uh, the Draghi government to be a leftist uh, government. Uh, no, absolutely anything um, but left-wing. But in the field of pensions, it has been a radical uh, sort of U-turn in the sense that uh, because of the recovery plan, the rhetoric about pension reforms slightly changed. And basically, the government started to talk about, first of all, a problem related to the reform of the public administration. You know that in, in many Southern European and Central European countries, the public administration is a major problem because it's largely ineffective, because the average age of uh, people in the, in the public administration is increased. Yeah, it's quite old. Yeah, it's old because of the, the so-called uh, uh, block of turnover 
across generations and the fact that precisely because of the cutbacks to the public budget, there were no room for hiring a new generation of, uh, of civil servants. Uh, in that respect, there was a U-turn in the rhetoric and you know, the government started to think, okay, we need, in fact, especially for the public sector, to improve, increase opportunities for early retirement, precisely because we need to hire younger generations, uh, digital-born kind of uh, people, able to deal with the digital transition, the green transition, all the major challenges that the, the state, basically, and not just the, the political economy, has to deal with. Uh, in the next decades. And this leads to um, a new roundtable between trade unions, social partners, uh, and the government representatives, talking about not just new resources and investments in the public sector, but also the possibility to find early exit strategies from the labor market for civil servants and people in the public sector. This is, has been a U-turn. And it was quite interesting to see how it was framed from a discursive point of view uh, in terms of uh, we did some mistakes in the past. Yes, and, and now we're going to re- revert the course. Yeah, and now we discover that we need also because of the pandemic that we need an efficient public administration. We need to invest on it. We need, we need younger uh, civil servants able to really understand what's going on now in the European political economies. And in that respect, I would say this is part of this optimism implicit uh, in the different uh, articles of the issue. Thank you so much, David, for, for being with us today. Thank you so much. Thanks to you. And thanks to you also for for listening. Um, You'll be able to find all of the articles of Transfer Linked in the show notes. And David's article is going to be the first one in line. So go and check it out. 